Well, welcome to another edition of GWN Spoken and thank you for joining us no matter where you may be. And in this podcast, we discuss stuff we don't typically talk about, but probably should. And I want to thank all those listeners of the show so far who are connecting and from teenagers to parents to employers, employees, to even friendship groups out there who are giving some feedback and also, you know, just saying how some of this stuff is helping them with their general connections. That's a whole idea of the podcast is that some of the research we do right now can hopefully help you with your authentic interactions with others. And this is our second part of this series around being parents, not pals, and and using the story brand approach from building a story brand from Donald Miller. Definitely recommend that book to anybody. He talked about how CEOs and business owners can use the story brand approach, but we're now going to talk about how we can use that also as parents and also in our communication. So again, if you are not a parent listening to this, please just try and manipulate the conversation where you can go, yep, I'm not a parent, but who in my circle, even as a teenager or as, you know, just maybe an employee or as a friend can use this to help other people and yourself. So what are some, just a recap, three unhealthy parenting styles. Number one, helicopter parent. They're the ones who hover above our kids and they control all aspects of their lives. There's a bulldozer type of parent. These are the ones who remove obstacles and hardships the whole time. Now, these parents, unfortunately, are the ones who stop our kids from building resilience. The resilience wall comes up and they need to break through the other side to get success. And as we know, our brain always looks for shortcuts or the easy option. And when our parents are a bulldozer and they remove those obstacles or hardships, our brains learn that and they go, guess what? I don't need resilience. My parents will save me every single day of the week, so I'm going to be okay because my mum or dad will look after me in this way if things get too hard. Here's a new newsflash. Life isn't like that. So we're actually doing a disservice to our kids by doing that. We're there to guide them through that resilience wall to get to success, but being a bulldozer parents by removing obstacles and hardships does not work. And the other one is a negligent or uninvolved parent. And unfortunately, that allows our kids to be very, very vulnerable, which is a bad thing because they then look for their peers as influencers. And unfortunately, our teenagers probably don't have enough friends who have enough life experience to give them the proper guidance and authority to have good decisions. So that leads into one of the first parenting styles that we have from Burmind, we talked about last time, the psychologist who says there's four types of parenting styles. And I want you to reflect on, even as a communicator, which one of these are you mainly? Because I know it'll probably swap and change a bit based on your interactions that you have and your, I guess, conflicts that you may have too. So the first one is a neglectful parent, which we just talked about. And they are usually uninvolved or absent. And I think technology has a massive Oh, I guess a babysitting capacity now where a lot of our parents are probably more negligent because they're also busy or maybe also on their technology and it's a great babysitting service. They have little nurturance or guidance towards their teens and they're actually indifferent to child's social, emotional and behavioural needs. It has makes, it makes them very, very vulnerable. The second one they talk about is permissive and these are child-driven, child's in charge. They rarely give or enforce rules to their kids. And in fact, they overindulge children to avoid conflicts. How do you think that goes? There's a saying from Confucius that says, parents who are afraid to put their foot down usually have children that step on their toes. It's a big one. They learn to be the boss. 
They learn to get away with everything they want to. Again, no resilience. And our poor kids, even though we try and do the right thing by giving them everything, it actually does not allow any because they actually don't know how to work through a conflicting and a resolution style, communication style. How about authoritarian? Can you remember how many percent is authoritarian? A quarter. A quarter of us are authoritarian. And I think of I think of authoritarian as in like the old school, you know, the demanding parent that you are living in my house, you are under my roof, and I am your father or mother. This is why you behave. But but why? Because I'm your mum. Because I'm your dad. That's why you're doing it. Right? It's very parent driven. It's very, very strict rules and very, very strict punishments. Now look, don't get me wrong, I'm all about as you know as a teacher, firm, fair, consistent, and fun. That's the motto. That's the motto when I've got a practice student or the classes that are with me. That's how I try and teach. But when there's very strict rules and very strict punishments and one-way communication with little consideration of the child's social, emotional, or behavioural needs, I'm telling you now, you're going to get massive conflict and pushback, especially as a stereotype these days with the kids because, as we talked about, their brains and bodies don't mature significantly at the same time. Our physical maturation is a lot faster than our chronological age these days. And therefore, physically and mentally, there's a massive disparity. So, so basically, if you think about it, technology has sped up our brain so fast that our neural capacity cannot keep up. That's number one. Physically, because of the hormones and the foods, etc., and it's not the same nutrients in the soil, we are physically getting bigger earlier. So our brains and our bodies, there's a bigger gap in between what they used to be. Our brains are acting again like a 14 or 15 year old because it's pruning and, and just going through our neural pathways are just going, hey, I'm interested in this, I've got to get rid of this because I've got to have more brain space for this. And if there's even more confusion there because of our brains and bodies not being on the same page and an influence on technology saying this is how you should be and this is how you should push back, which is another natural thing that we our teens do because that allows them to leave the nest is that pushback. And then our parents are now coming at our kids from a very strict, old-fashioned point of view and saying, in my day, we never do this. We'd never disregard our parents. Kids won't care. And unfortunately, some of the old-school behaviour management strategies work, but when we're too strict, we don't understand that that neurological, neurological and physical change, that can have even more disregard. And I might be wrong. Look, right back in, I, I feel that the more you look at any household these days, there's a bigger gap between parenting, how it used to be, and children, how they act and behave these days. And I still think the social, emotional and neurological approach is the key. And if we can educate parents and and co-workers and employers, CEOs, teachers especially on the ground all the time with, with um, children and teens, if we can educate parents just how these neurological changes are affecting our kids these days, especially from technology, I think there's going to be more chance of us having authentic interactions and connections. And then the other last one she talked about was the authoritative style and about 45 46% of apparently our parents are like that and they – solve problems together with their children. They set clear rules and expectations and they have open communication and natural consequences. And I think this consistency allows children and teens to make predictions about their real world. And I think that that consistency is the key, that along with clear and precise rules. So if you think about firm, consistent, 
rules that are enforced, that's the key, that makes a difference to our children because they know what real life is. They know that consequences are real. And look, getting back to the story brand approach, and I want to go into the four types, and you think about any story these days, and a story brand talks about this, you think about um, what's a good example, probably Star Wars, even though I'm not a Star Wars fan, but if I ask Star Wars fans out there, who's the victim, you'd know who the victim is. Who's the villain? You'd know who the villain would be. Who's the guide? Who's the hero of the story? We need as parents, as business owners, as key communicators, we need to be the guide. Now, this is really important. This this is the game changer I found. I remember going for a run, listening to this audiobook, Building a Story Brand, and I remember the two things they said. If you want to be a guide, you want to be a great teacher, you want to be a great influencer, you want to be a great business owner, you want to be, um, I think, a great parent towards your kids, this is the key. To be the guide, you need two things. Number one, you need empathy and understanding. And number two, you need authority and competency. And authority just means you're the leader of the family. The child is a member of the family. It doesn't mean it's a top-down approach. It just means that you are in charge. You have got that authority and you're showing competency. Yes, you're going to make mistakes. Yes, you're going to apologize for that and be the bigger person. But they're the things. And empathy is one of the biggest social-emotional skills you can have. That and listening apparently are the top two now that people are looking for all the time in great connections, great communication processes. So empathy and understanding, authority and competency are the two things you need. But let's talk really quickly about being a victim. A lot of our parents, unfortunately, have underlying reasons for this behavior of being a victim. Who do you know now? And I go through these five areas, these five examples of how you can be a victim in a relationship. Who do you know out there? How many times have you fallen into victimhood? And this is the reason why often victimhood happens. Number one. There's a perceived power dynamic. They usually assert power or control by being a victim. They can do that by perceived having a perceived power balance. If I'm the victim, I'm going to be felt sorry for. My team's going to behave for me. Very simplified example. That goes into number two, which is very similar, a control tactic. They use victimhood as a form of control, making others feel sorry for them and therefore they can influence decisions and behaviours. And guess what? That's the worst thing we can do for our teens because our teens then don't feel and express how they generally do feel. And what happens is that just goes up in their brain. It compacts over time. It adds more and more pressure to them over time when the parent's always a victim and trying to have that control tactic and eventually they're going to explode or want to leave home and it can go crazy. And that's just an example of control tactics that victims use. That can also lead to guilt tripping because they use guilt as a tool and can make children feel guilty um, if they, they express any differences or autonomy or assertiveness. Um, oh, I had to laugh, and this is a pretty embarrassing story, and this will be held against me from my mates for sure, but um, couldn't sleep the other night. I'm not recommending this. It's probably a bad behaviour, but I couldn't get to sleep. Ch- chucked on TV for a while, and Bad Mums 2 was on. Never seen Bad Mums 1. True, <laughs> true, I haven't. But um, I think I want to now after seeing the second one. I saw part of, of Bad Mums 2, and... There was a mum talking to the daughter. The daughter was still middle-aged. And it was just, if you've seen this, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it was just hilarious because the mother kept multicoloring the the mum and just going, or the child who's still a mum, and just saying, oh, I love you and I want to be with you. I live next door to you. And and the daughter saying, 
listen here, mum, I need boundaries. Like this is a 40-year-old mum saying to her, her, her six-year-old mum, I just need boundaries. You need to, you need to back off. And the six-year-old mum's like, oh, you don't mean that. You know we have such a connection and I love you. And I think she had pictures of her face all over her pyjamas. It was a bit sick. And the four-year-old mum goes, honestly, you need boundaries. You need to stop it. You need to back off right now. And the older mum says, oh, but I've now got cancer. And how can you say that to me when I've got cancer? And she's like, oh, have you? I'm so sorry. Mum, I'm sorry. And then the mum goes, okay, I actually don't have cancer. I just, you know. And she's basically using it as a tactic to make them feel guilty to get what she wanted, which was obviously that she had separation anxiety from a child, even though she was like 40 years old. And that's just an example of how we often, or people can often guilt trip when they're acting as a victim. The other one is attention seeking. And acting the victim can often seek attention and validation from others, and hence they remain the focus of sympathy and care. And so empathy is a good thing, sympathy maybe not so much. But victims often look for that sympathy because, again, they remain the focus of the relationship. They think if they are hard done by and the children or teen thinks that they are hard done by, they will be, I suppose, easier on them. Know any examples out there? Are you thinking of some examples I'm talking like this? It's not hopefully not talking at you. I want you to actually think about real-life situations and examples of relationships with you right now. And the last one is a really dangerous one. It's manipulation and avoiding responsibility. And victims will often act in a way like this. So they have some kind of form of emotional manipulation to gain support from others and for people to avoid responsibility for their actions and decisions. And the biggest thing they do in this area is they blame others or external circumstances for their situation. And I know the number of times you'll hear this where you go, you know, someone will be the victim because of a certain circumstance or it's not fair, always happens to me. That's I probably the girls hear that all the time and I drive them to school or pick them up and they, I say, oh, it's always me with these red lights. And we have a joke and I laugh about it and I think, well, how can I even say that? This is getting victim mentality, right? But how many times have you heard people blame their circumstance on other people? And we know that we're the sum of the circumstances that happened. We, we are in charge of our circumstances. Uh, Tony Robbins, great, like, right, love reading his book at the moment, like Awaken the Giant Within. It's an old book and it's taken me a while to get through it, but he said, as long as we have structure in our lives in a way where our happiness is dependent upon something we cannot control, then we will always experience pain. And I love that because victims blame other people. Therefore, they don't have control. Therefore, they will never be happy. They will never probably get to the great parents that they could be because they're worried about themselves and they're blaming other people, their attention-seeking or their guilt-tripping or these in-control tactics or they're trying to get some kind of power dynamic in their relationship to make sure everything runs smoothly for them. I want you to really think about anyone in your circle who acts as a victim. I want you to think about times that you've been guilty of acting as a victim. How can you then change that? How can you think of your circumstance and think, okay, in this moment, in this time, right now, when I'm aware of this now, how can I change this? How can I not be the victim and actually start being more like the guide where I can show those things of empathy and understanding and authority and competency. And we're going to get to that by our third or fourth show on this. So I want you to thank you for joining for this episode. The next one I'm going to talk about is a little scary one. It's when we become the villain. And the villain can be very dangerous in our parent-child relationship or any other relationship that talks about our connections, even with our friendships and our work. I want to thank you for joining us tonight on the show. And I look forward to talking to you more about the villain 
in our StoryBrand podcast that's coming up very shortly. 